name is Adam, and this is Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had the amazing opportunity to speak with Mason Jennings over Zoom video. Mason was born in Honolulu, Hawaii, lived there till about two years old, and his family moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So that's where he grew up most of his life. Talked about that, how he got into music, his brother's guitar player, his, both his parents were singers. He ended up playing drums first and an older brother that also played guitar. So to kind of jam with his brothers, he started to learn how to play drums. He talked about sneaking into his brother's rooms to practice their guitars, started writing his own songs that way. He told us about some talent shows he played at when he was in high school. He ended up dropping out of high school, moving to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and that's where his music career really began. Mason talked about recording and releasing that very first album, which went on to sell over 100,000 copies. Playing shows with Jack Johnson, the milestones in his career, the big turning points for him in his career. He also talked about the Painting Shield record and the future for that side project with Stone Gossard of Pearl Jam and all about his brand new album. It's called Real Heart. You can watch our interview with Mason Jennings on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. We'd love it if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're an Amazon shopper, a portion of your everyday purchases will help support our podcast with just a few clicks. It's super easy. Please head over to our website, bringingitbackwards.com, and click on Amazon each time you begin your purchases. Those few extra clicks will help keep our mission of providing a platform for both legendary and rising artists to tell their personal stories on how they achieve stardom so that all artists and music enthusiasts have access to meaningful and memorable advice that will help inspire their own musical journeys. To recap, please head over to bringingitbackwards.com and click on Amazon before you make each and every purchase because a portion of that purchase will add up in a big way to help support our mission. Thank you so much. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Mason Jennings. This podcast is about you, your journey in music, and we'll talk about your new record coming out in February. Awesome. Sounds good. Cool, cool. I'm Adam, by the way. <laughs> nice to meet you, Mason. Yeah, I didn't know if I introduced myself. But um, cool. So we always talk about first, uh, just where you grew up, where you were born and raised. I was born in Honolulu, and I was only there for a couple mm -hmm. years, and then my parents moved to uh, Pittsburgh. So I grew up in Pittsburgh. Um, until I was 19, then I moved to Minneapolis. Wow. Okay. Born in Honolulu and then you moved to Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of a shock, you know? Yeah. Was that for your parents' job or something? They, uh, there was grandparents in Columbus and there was grandparents by Philadelphia. So they just picked the city in between the grandparents, just randomly picked Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. That's all. But that's rather you're born in Hawaii. You weren't there very long, you said? Just a couple years. I mean, every day at the beach for the first two years and then to steel town. So I remember like just, the, I mean, hardly any, but we would go back. We have relatives there and stuff. Uh, that's awesome. Rad. Well, how did you get to music? Um, you mean like start playing or like doing it as a profession or. Oh, just in, in yeah. Just find it. Just find it as an interest. I guess in the beginning, like what, it, what intrigued you? Or would your family members that are uh, musicians or somebody push you in piano lessons or something like that? 
I tried piano lessons. Both my parents were singers and just not professionally, just for fun. But uh, um, nobody really played much. Um, and I took piano lessons and I hated it. And then I'd say around the age of 12, I guess uh, my older brother, I had a half brother who was kind of coming around more, who was older than me. And he like loved uh like hard rock and and he he would he started playing guitar and then my little i had a little brother who was like nine at the time he started playing guitar and kind of became a, a prodigy at it um and so i had these my older oh, brother wow. and my little brother like just playing this incredible like van halen stuff in the house and so i was like well maybe i'll play some drums so i started playing on drums just to play with them but then um mm -hmm. after a few years i would just like sneak into their room and i would sing too and i would just kind of take their guitar and like learn some chords. And then I started like kind of secretly making, making up songs. And I found that that's kind of the thing that really caught my attention was just like making up my own songs and singing. And that sort of started around age 14. Wow. So did you didn't try to like learn covers in the beginning? It was just all, did you have words that you wanted to sing? Like how did that all kind of come together? Yeah. Weirdly, I would just, I would just, I mean, at first I learned like covers with my brothers playing drums. I was playing drums, like a lot of white snake mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And then I would slowly learn to play. Like, I remember loving like little, like uh, white lion and stuff on guitar. Like I would learn covers on guitar just on, but then I just really wanted to sing and I, and I just would hear these songs and I've always kind of just heard these songs and, and um, yeah. And so that was more what I did as just kind of figured out how to play the thing I was hearing. And then, uh, kind of made my own stuff more than covers after that. Okay. You said your brother is a guitar prodigy. Does he still play? Yeah, he's awesome. His name is Matt Jennings. He's okay. always playing. He, he kind of was like started in heavy metal and then he more like turned to this more like world world music. He like really likes flamenco and stuff like that. No. Uh, oh, that's rad. Cool. So he does, he still does guitar, plays guitar. Yeah. It's not like his job, but he does it for fun. I mean, um, he, he's, he's incredible. That's so cool. Have you ever played on any of your stuff? No, kind of different uh, styles. Okay. Sure, sure. <laughs> sorry, it's like breaking up a little well, bit. Um, oh, sorry. Um, okay. Maybe it's my connection, huh? Oh, awesome. You back? Are we back? <laughs> yeah, I just didn't. I didn't want you to be like, "What's uh, wrong with like extra long weird pauses?" Oh yeah, no, no worries. Need. Yeah, sometimes. Okay. Sure. No worries. Yeah. Sometimes it gets all, it gets all jittery, but it's all good now. Awesome. So, okay. Um, you started writing songs. You said around 14 and what was it like, do you remember showing your, your brothers or your, your friends the first time? Like, Oh, like I'm actually writing songs. Cause it sounds like you was kind of like a secretive thing that you were doing. Yeah. I, I, I uh, like we played a dance and, um, I kind of sang one of my songs with my brother playing guitar and another drummer and, and sort of just like tried it out and people seemed to like it. And then about age 15, I got like a, one of the first four track recorders that people were, they were just starting to bring them out. And mm -hmm. I got one of those and started recording like nonstop. So then I could show people the tapes and, and I got a lot of encouragement. Once, once I could do that, it was, uh, it was really cool because I could kind of get it how I liked it and record it a bunch of times. And then, you know, then I, then I ended up playing like drums again on these recordings. So like I, the fact that I kind of started with drums, learned some bass, then had taken piano lessons that I hated when I was younger, all that stuff kind of like moved into like helping me record my own recordings. Mm -hmm. And your first record you played, it was all you, right? You, you yeah. played the, every instrument on the whole album. Yeah. So like, that's like, 
seven years later, like just kept doing that. I probably recorded hundreds of songs. So that was just a natural way for me to record my first record. I mean, that, that record was made like on a more, like a bigger four track, like the old uh -huh. reel to reel four tracks rather than a cassette four track. But yeah, that that's how I did the first record. It's all me, all four track. Wow. Okay. So you, what were you doing with those early recordings? Like you said, seven years later, you put out that record. Was it just like songs just so you had them or were you trying to, you know, kind of make a name for yourself as like a singer songwriter early on? I was trying, it wasn't really working. And, and, uh, you know, I moved to Minneapolis when I was 19 and I just had this bag of tapes and I tried to get gigs and I could get a coffee shop gig here and there, but as far as like more bars and stuff, they weren't, they weren't interested. So I went to this place called, uh, resources and counseling for the arts. And it's a place in St. Paul. And this guy, Chris Osgood, who was in a band called the suicide commandos. He was like a seminal, like Minneapolis band. He, he saw these tapes. I was like, Hey, check out these tapes. And he goes, man, don't, he was like, go, go home, make a CD, like make one recording that sounds like you, like what, what do you think is your core sound? Make a single recording, make it a CD, press like a few hundred of them. And then that's where you're going to use. Like, you can't be bringing these, <laughs> these tapes around because <laughs> people are like, don't know what you're doing. And so then I was like, oh, damn it. So I had to go. And that's what my first record was. It was basically just like an assignment from this artist counselor. Oh, it wow. took me a year to like get the gear. Like I was waiting tables and I was like, okay, this is going to be expensive. But like, you know, I saved up for one microphone, this weird old tape machine and this little mixing board. And then you know, made 500 of them and came back and showed him. And he was like, now we're talking. And then, and then he was able to help me get, get gigs and get press and all that stuff. Oh, okay. What made you move to St. Paul? Was there a reason that you chose? Oh there? yeah. My dad was, uh, my dad and my mom divorced when I was 12 and he moved to, uh, he moved to, I got a job in, in uh, Minneapolis. And so he was oh, up okay. here and I just visited and I, I loved it. I was like, man, this is incredible. Like the, the eclectic, music scene from like Prince to the replacements, the Jayhawks. Mm -hmm. I like loved all those bands. And, um, and you know, it was like, there was a lot of places in Minnesota where you can play your own music too. Like in Pittsburgh, it was more of a cover band scene at that time. And, you know, like when I came up here, there's all these places that were like, you know, first Avenue and all these places where there was just really encouraging these artists to come up and um do their own thing. So like that felt really like, I was like, Oh, this will work for me. Like it's not as intimidating as New York or LA. And it just felt mm -hmm. like it was going to be supportive and it, it, it worked out good. That's awesome. I, you did mention earlier too, that you got a lot of support when you were recording those early songs. I mean, prior to moving to Minneapolis, like who would you say was a real big advocate of yours early on? Oh, uh, my dad, my, my okay. dad and my brother, both my brothers, but, um, and my little brother being that so good at guitar and, and, you know, it was kind of like, competitive and that kind of helped i think that kind of helps to have a little bit of like you know competitive energy of like check out this new thing i wrote and he'd like mm -hmm. here's my new guitar part and i'd be like here you know stuff like that so and then my dad was really into it and um i had some people that were friends with my parents that were really into it too they were really into the arts they were like supportive so it wasn't it wasn't so much like the community at, of Pittsburgh that much because I tried to get gigs and didn't get any but mm -hmm. yeah i mean people at my school like half some people liked it some people didn't you know like Cause, um, yeah, but there's some, there's some supportive friends too. Yeah. I know. I always find that, uh, interesting. Like when our artists talk and they say like their first show, like you talked about playing a school dance, like yeah. playing in front of 
your peers, especially at that level, you know, if you're in high school, that's all you really know is these kids that you're around. And then you're like being so vulnerable playing these songs to them. And then you got to see them every day, right? It's not like you're playing like <laughs> coffee shop where you, I know. you n- might never see the 20 people that are there ever again. It's like, you're really, I mean, was that a pretty nerve wracking experience to do? Yeah. I mean, for sure. And also like talent shows, we did two different, like, I remember oh, two man. kind of like, you know, like one talent show I remember in particular in 10th grade, it was, it was kind of, it's interesting because it can be kind of a turning point. Cause I like got a horn section. I got like, I had like a seven oh, wow. band. It was in 10th grade. And I had like a purple suit that I'd saved up for. And I was like, I hope this works. And I, I remember starting it like with a, I started this performance with like a poem in the dark, like the thing, the lights were out and I was like doing a poem and you know, like it's, it was like wow. 10th grade. So like you had these dudes screaming, like, shut up, you know, like, you suck. Like, right. You know, kids are yelling at me. And then, then the lights come on, there's this big band and it kind of like, it really worked. And then there was like a standing ovation. And I remember thinking like, okay, like that went over good. Like from, from being like heckled at the beginning of the performance to like winning the crowd over of like high school kids that felt pretty good. Yeah. That sounds like a big moment. I mean, I, I could picture that too, though. Like just kids being kids, mean kids and the auditorium yelling and just not appreciating anything. And the fact that you're up there, like really showing something that you've created and, yeah. Um, that's what I always find is it's, it's an interesting concept that that's where a lot of people get their start is in front of everyone that they know. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, it helped me, it kind of helped me to move away at 19. Actually. I've, I've thought about that. Like just go to a different city, you know, like totally nobody knows me from mm-hmm. my past. And, and that was good. And then, you know, like three years later, four years later, after I started building, or maybe it was more than that, maybe like five or six years later, then tour back through Pittsburgh. And then I remember, one of the first times coming back through Pittsburgh, all these people from my high school came and they're like, yeah, <laughs> this is awesome. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm glad I got the five years or six years to kind of develop it in Minnesota before I came back. So <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That person that you, you, you spoke about earlier, um, that you came Chris with Osmond. the tape. Yeah, yeah. Well, you came with the tapes and he was like, yeah, you should probably put a record together. Um, how much, like when you came back to him and said, here, you know, here's the CD, and you pressed those copies. Was that just something you were doing locally? Were you just playing on those songs? And was this person helping you kind of manage you? Or like, how did that, like, oh, I just kind didn't know. Yeah. With that? yeah, I didn't really know, um, like, what to even do to get gigs. So I, he, right. he, like, pushed play. We, like, sat down with the CD and listened. And by, like, I think it was by, like, the, the third or fourth song. He, he, like, it was so cool. He goes, all right, hold on. Then he, like, talked to his secretary. And he goes, could you cancel all my appointments for the rest of the day? Like, and then he went and like locked his door and he goes, he goes, now we got something to work with. And it was, it was such a validating moment. And then, so he helped me by like, he helped me get a whole press kit together, like with the photos and the, the, how to do the bio. And then he contacted like people in the press um, for me and like got them the record and was like, you got to hear this guy. And then it it really immediate, what really happened is he talked to this writer in in the St. Paul paper um, and it was a kind of main music writer. His name's Jim Walsh. He's written some books. Like he wrote some stuff about Prince and, and the guy, he actually like loved, he just loved the record. And so like starting then for like the next 13 weeks, he had a, like a front page on the entertainment section column. And he wrote about me for like 13 straight weeks. Wow. The, and, and like, so the first week it was, I was like, Whoa, this guy. And then he called me and interviewed me. And the next week was an interview. And then by like week three, I got like a bunch of gig offers. Um, and then like within a few, like not too far into there, I had this, I was opening for, I was supposed to open for soul asylum or open for like a, Oh, uh, cool. 
like Dave Perner side project or something and the band mm-hmm. canceled. So they called me like, they're like, do you still want to play the show? And I was like, yeah. So then I went and I played with my, I had a little band and, and no, and like the only, like the crowd didn't show up, but like 10 different writers showed up to see this Dave Perner side project. And then Dave Perner showed up and this is like 98, maybe 97 or eight. So it's like, you know, like really, was huge at that yeah, time. Totally. Yeah. So he shows up. And then he heard us play a little bit and then he comes to the side of the stage. He's like, can I sit in with you guys? So then he came on my stage and we did some songs with him in front of like 10 music writers. And then um, like the next day I got a call and somebody's like, you should see the paper. And it was like the, the, that writer I was telling you about wrote this huge piece. It was like, let's hear it for the guy who sat in with Mason Jennings. And like, I was the first time I'd like seen my name. And like, it was like a headline, you know? Uh-huh. And I was like, I was like, crap. And there's a picture of us. And um so then I just got like, then all of a sudden I just got all these gigs. People were just like doing a weekly gig at this place called the 400 bar, which is a really cool rock club up here. Like, they're like, do you want a weekly gig? And do you want gigs at these other places? And it just kind of went like, boom, like it like really popped really quick. Mm-hmm. So. That's interesting that Dave Perner was supposed to play and then didn't play, but then yep. showed up and played. With he was like at the bar went. at the back. Yeah. He was like, <laughs> he was like, I saw him and I was kind of intimidated to play like our songs. And we're like, Oh, and then he like, you know, after a few drinks came over and just was like, can I get up here? And I was like, uh, yeah, that's uh-huh. fine. so it's really fun. Yeah. We did nice. like a Sinead O'Connor song and TLC waterfalls. He wanted to sing that. So like, <laughs> we're like, and I tune my guitar weird. Like I have a good, I have a guitar that's tuned. I always tune it a half step flat. So he mm-hmm. had a normal guitar and I had a, weird, <laughs> we we're trying to figure these songs out. And I remember thinking like, Oh Lord, like, please, please have this go good. I think, uh-huh. I think it went good. That is so cool. And then you got that ride up. Did that open the doors for you as far as playing outside of Minneapolis as well? Or like, how um, did you start branching outside? Like once you kind of got a name for yourself there? Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't thought about that in a while. Cause it did like, I think somebody told me to just start touring in small, like two hour to go two hours out. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> like we go to Fargo or like Duluth, Minnesota, and just kind of like play them every month maybe and then mm-hmm. slowly the circle like when we started making more money and making name for ourselves it just built out a little bit more i'm trying to think like how how it maybe that same writer or one maybe a couple writers uh talked to somebody in chicago for me or something in chicago started to pop mm-hmm. and then we would like just do this just slowly just widen it out and then we, we widen it out to the whole country and i'm it's funny now because it was like, you know, pre-internet and stuff. And I'm wondering like how that even happened because I remember going to the West Coast and playing for like five people and then going back and playing for 30 people and then going back and playing for like a hundred people. It was like, I think it was just way more word of mouth. Like, so we just made sure the shows are really good. And then I would bring my CDs like with me. So we were like not really distributed at that, that, that CD I made, I would just press them myself. And yeah, it's a weird question. I, wow. I don't I think it's just like word of mouth because and then the press started catching on. So it must've had, I must've like, gosh, weird. I haven't thought of it. It's a long time ago now. Mm-hmm. I must've hired a publicist or something to like talk to New York and LA. And Was that the, the, the record that you had the 500 copies of in your, and you're bringing around with you in that first CD, was that your self-titled first yeah. record? It was. Yeah. And then we ended up we sold like, I don't know, like a hundred thousand with a couple of years, like out of my, out of my van. That's yeah. so crazy. And so yeah, you didn't have a like a, a, a distributor or anything. It was just your, you pressing CDs or yourself or did um, it eventually kind of 
Yeah, I got one. Okay. I was going to got one after like a thousand CDs would have been a lot. Yeah. (laughs) We got somebody um, in Minnesota, the electric fetus is this record store and they have a distribution below it and they would, they start distributing to the Midwest. Uh Uh-huh. So that, so then the coast were mostly just me selling out of the van, but we would sometimes sell like, I don't know, 200 a show. So it was kind of cool. Like, like these, this giant box would just because people couldn't hear it otherwise, which is so weird now to think about, like they couldn't hear it unless I think that really benefited me because nobody knew what I sounded like, but I kept getting these good write-ups and then people would come and just buy the CDs from me and share it. And, um, and then eventually got distribution to the whole country, but at first it was more Midwest. And then it, um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think like, you know, the West coast really popped because two of the songs got used in a surf movie. Um, oh, okay. Like it's called shelter. And it was like, it was Jack Johnson was his, his friends or somebody, somebody used it. Mm-hmm. And then the next time, like I was in San Diego once and I played to like, I don't know, 330, not 300, like 30 people. And I went back and it was like 500 people. And I was like, Whoa, I, I guess a lot of people like these surf movies. That's so. so funny that you brought up San Diego because I'm I'm from San Diego. I was born and raised there. I, oh, uh, cool. Yeah, I, I recently, my family and I, we just moved to Nashville, but um, spent almost my whole life in San Diego. And I first heard of you when I was in high school and you had put out Birds Flying Away. And I don't even know if this is the same time when you played San Diego, but a good friend of mine went and saw you. And it might have been the 30 person show or the next one that came around but that's how i first got introduced to you he was like you need to check this guy out and he was like he he would play a cd every like we used to go off campus for lunch you could leave you know and go to jack in the box or whatever yeah he always had your record in his (laughs) in his car like so like anytime i hear your your songs or that birds flying away record i just think of him like oh yeah that was 10th grade like going to whatever that's That's so cool dude yeah so it's san diego yeah it was big i didn't realize that it was in a surf uh film maybe that's where he saw he was a big surfer kid but he probably um, saw it there yeah yeah but he he was he was the first person that turned me on to you and that was all best off a san diego show that's That's so rad yeah san diego and this and the shelter video surf video that's so cool um once like at this point like what do you remember what year that was was that around 2000 1999 or so 2000 okay cool and then um was that at that point where you starting to branch out and play pretty big? Like, were you touring the full U.S. at that time, or is it still touring pretty... the full full time three times a year? So we would just kind of loop and then just do it again, like three or four times a year. I had a little band, and we were trying to figure out how to make a second record because I made that first record myself, but then playing live, the shows were like a little more energetic and stuff. And I tried recording again by myself. Um, but number one, like the house I made the record in, they had, they had sold the house. So I didn't have that same place. I was staying. And then I had like an apartment where you couldn't Mm -hmm. really make a record. And, um, and then this band we were trying to record. So we actually recorded the record like a couple different times and couldn't, couldn't totally get it right. But then we finally got birds flying away. was like good enough. I felt like, like it was in the ballpark of what I was going for. So then that was the second record. And, Mm -hmm. And then that was like, uh, Yeah more of the whole country like and then that one got like reviews and like you know like the new york times did a big thing and chicago chicago tribune la weekly and stuff so that kind of like seattle like that really like got national on that record mm-hmm. you've put out so many records you're what on your like 15 yeah 14, the album 14 yeah that is insane and then like oh two you put out two records like you yeah. must have just been were you just are you constantly writing i mean it sounds like i mean you have so many songs 
Yeah, I'm, I'm always right. Like in 2002, I put those out because I was having a baby. So I did like one of the normal, like what I was working on currently. But then I, you know, I went and recorded songs that I wrote in Pittsburgh or when I first moved to Minneapolis. I wrote a bunch of, I had a bunch of acoustic songs that didn't have mm-hmm. a band. So I was like, oh, I'll just do like a, an acoustic yeah. record and put those two out together. Just, just to help me be able to like pay to get some money to stay home with the baby for a few months. So that that's why that happened in 2002. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like all from the same time. It was like old songs and new songs. Yeah. Okay. Well, was there like another moment, like once, you know, obviously you started building a fan base and you're doing bigger tours. Like, was there another like pinnacle moment where you saw your, you know, your crowds blow up a bit more or like, yeah. Um, touring with jack johnson was a huge like so i was doing a i was playing a college gig in minnesota at this tiny college um it's called gustavus and it was like we were playing like at a end of school jam like a earth jam at like the end of the school year you like they have some bands and it was like mm-hmm. i was finishing my show it was probably like 100 people in the field and i was finishing it and i was walking off and there's this dude that like he's like short hair and he's just like keep playing i love this this is so awesome keep playing and i'm the band i'm the guy after you i want to hear more and i was like who is wow. this guy you know <laughs> and then i was like no i'm i'm done and then we got off and then he, he gets on it was jack johnson and then he played to 100 people and and then after we we swapped cds and then he called me like a month later and was like hey you want to go do some shows together and i was like yeah let's do some you know co-headlining things and mm-hmm. so it was like we were playing like i don't know 500 seat places but 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 his like record exploded at like such a it went from being like oh we're playing these little places to like by the end of the tour we were playing like 3,000 seaters sold out wow i was like i was like whoa what what is going on like i had never heard of him before and i I, he's like same kind of setup as me like acoustic guitar drums and bass Mm -hmm. but now we're playing like these 3,000 seaters packed and so that that tour, like we did that for like all fall of 2001 and all, all the spring of 2002 or 2002, like, um, and then the next time I toured the, the, the crowds went like three times as big. So like we were playing to like more like 800 or a thousand people and in all these cities. And it was like, so cool. Like it must've just really connected with the crowd. And then later I went out again with him and we, then, then by that point he's playing 35,000, like, (laughs) Yeah, so he, he blew up so quick. I mean, not quick, quick, but I remember that because I think to back to San Diego, I think the, the radio station I worked at a little while ago, um, they were the first one to really get on board with Jack Johnson and he kind of just exploded in San Diego. Oh, I bet, man. And like and all I, over the world, Australia. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing him play like he played the big amphitheater like within he was probably did the smaller tour with you maybe. Yep. And then it was like he came back around he was like headlining the radio stations, like big show. And it was like, you know, a huge amphitheater sold out. <laughs> and, you know, he's such a great guy. Like we've been friends for all these years still. And he, you know, he was, cause I've toured with a lot of other musicians and Jack's different because he would like bring me out during the encore and he'd cool. be like, Hey, we're going to play one of Mason's songs. Here's, here's Mason Jennings. And we would like sing one of my songs. And like that kind of like, giving me that chance to play in front of that many people like one of my own songs that he's endorsing like the next time you come through you have a lot of people come to your show and a super cool thing to do i mean he didn't have to do that it was really cool so that is i mean to, especially if if you're the opener i mean not necessarily everyone's there quite yet you know maybe right. like waiting in the parking lot or doing whatever and then 
oh, you know, Jack Johnson hits the stage at nine. So we got to make sure we're there by that time. But to have you come out, especially in an encore when yeah. everyone's there and everyone knows he's coming back out and then to play one of your songs, that's so yeah. cool. And bring it down. Like the band would leave. It'd just be him. And then we'd walk out and the two of us would just do like some, it's so, so then everybody was totally quiet. Like all the words were getting heard and like, um, pretty, pretty crazy to play in front of that many. I mean, that's, we did a lot of shows, but like 35, it's really nerve wracking actually having 35,000 people like yell, like, like, you know, yell or even look at you. So like, I, I, I feel for anybody at that level. It's so that's a lot of eyeballs on you. you know? uh-huh. And especially playing acoustic guitar. I mean, it's totally. not like you guys are up there doing playing Van Halen, like super loud, you know, nope. you kind of cover yourself up with some of the mistakes maybe, but like right. you talk about vulnerable. You're just like, hey, here's my guitar and me and, and my feelings, you know, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I know, I don't know if we can touch on this for a minute is just, uh, you put out the painted shield record, which was a few years in the, the making, right. With Steve yeah. Gossard mm-hmm. and he ended up, he has a, a, he helped with this new record as well. Right. The one that's coming out in February. Yeah. He has a label called loose groove and mm-hmm. they put out like the first Kings, uh, Queens of the stone age record. And they've done a bunch of cool stuff. Wow. And he kind of revived it and is putting out my new solo record and he produced the solo record with his friend regan hagar the two of them and yeah it's super cool and yeah and painted shield again like talk about another guy that's playing in front of so many people all the time but yeah stone's awesome too and we just we did a painted shield record that came out um last november but then we just finished another one that's coming out like in april this in 2020 oh really so it's going to continue on that's awesome yeah and we're working on a third already so like what i kind of i think we're going to just keep making records and then probably like later in the year like i'm hoping 2022 in the fall we'll do some touring that's awesome that'll be huge that is so cool and well you you guys were working on that record for for a while was it like the fact that the pandemic had happened and you had more time on your hands like how did the (laughs) that <laughs> was that like part of the, the completing of the the record i think it helped it get done but it was like we had been working on we started in 2014 doing like a single together and then mm-hmm. i don't know when it was like maybe a year a year or two before the pandemic i was just was thinking about working with him and i was like you know i'm in a different place i had recently like i gotten divorced and i was i gotten remarried and, and i was feeling mm-hmm. much better and i was like you know what it might be fun to do another song with stone because i'm, I'm like in a better headspace so I reached out and he was like, yeah. Um, and his band, Brad, he was in another band, Brad, the lead yeah. singer had just passed away, Sean Smith. So he was just like really feeling kind of vulnerable, emotional. And mm-hmm. it was like, you know, it would be cool to have another outlet of to, to be creative. So we started working and it went really well. Like it went better than we had previously. Like the songs were coming more easily. I felt more like more on top of my game. And so uh, we were making a bunch of songs and then we were maybe going to do a just kind of him and me do the record but then this drummer matt chamberlain was playing on a bunch of the tracks and he's so he's so amazing he's like playing on everybody's records from like this last week he was like i'm playing with brandy carlisle and he's also with lana del rey and lord wow. and like <laughs> tori amos like all these giant names all the time he's bob dylan's drummer for the last year and so stone wow. was like let's ask matt if he wants to be in the band and, and then and then um a keyboardist Brittany davis she's blind and um she's an incredible she plays like synth bass and Mm -hmm. sings and so stone was like let's do a band like let's let's make this a band and i was like oh that sounds great so we were we were thinking of being a band and then we were were recording and then when the pandemic happened pearl jam was supposed to be doing all these shows and then they were like off yeah they had just put out that gigaton record yeah yeah gigaton and um um, 
so they were like open. And then we were like, there's this one guy, John Conglinton, who's like a engineer, producer guy who's working with all these really cool artists, um, like Angel Olsen and um, Sharon Van Etten. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was like really busy and we wanted to use him. And then he called us and was like, I'm off now for like, for like two months. Should we, should we finish the record? So the pandemic like helped clear everybody's schedule for the ending part. So then we like finished the final bits, got it mixed and got it released. And so, so in that way it did help it, but it was like the, the years prior to it is when it got recorded mostly. Okay. So it wasn't like something that you, but were you able to like, were you working on any differently? Like I'm sure with this new record too, is it a different process for recording? Since you're not probably able to, it wasn't as easy as like, Oh yeah, we'll all get together in the studio and, you know, try to hash out some songs. Right. Yeah. The new one was cool because it's, yeah, it was just like everybody was home. So the new one, the one that's coming out in April was mostly just, mm-hmm. we were able to work a lot together. The, the four of us just, um, <clears throat> you know, like I was recording my stuff in Minnesota and Matt Chamberlain has a, he's in Los Angeles and he has like the old sound, I forget the name of it, Sound City, I guess. The place oh, like, yeah. Yeah, this great Where studio. like Nirvana did yeah. Nevermind and everything. Yeah, okay. So his, yeah. He like, that's his he bought that or he's renting it or whatever he's that's his space to record so he's recording all these wow. incredible drum tracks in this in that great drum room um so he's recording there and then stone has a studio called studio litho in seattle where like audio slave recorded and stuff that's his studio and uh so stone and Brittany were both in seattle and they were recording the studio and then me and matt would just send tracks in so the engineers were like and, and this guy josh evans was a producer he was sort of keeping track of everything in seattle and it was really cool. Like just, we just, we were able to, cause we were just around every day. Like we could just bounce ideas back and forth, almost real time and get stuff. Just, it felt pretty good, you know, talking on the mm-hmm. phone and just sending tracks back and forth and tweaking and tweaking until we got it to where we liked it. So, I mean, I was so grateful during the pandemic, during the lockdown, especially to have that. So it was cool. Mm-hmm. So that was with this, the, the new record, or are you talking painted shield? Painted shield. Okay. Yeah, so the new with painted the, shield. Yeah. The new painted shield. Okay. And then, I mean, were you working on this new record around the same time or did that come a little bit later? I know it's weird because the pandemic has been like two years. Forever time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A new normal. Uh, so, yeah. The, the, my solo record was actually for like, it's been four years in the making on that one. Okay. And that's like, uh, that was more like me um, on my own. Like I, I recorded um, the major bulk of it here in Minnesota, like uh, the guitars and my drumming and like uh the vocals were done in minnesota and then stone and regan uh would like listen to i probably had 20 songs and then they would they were kind of like they yeah at first i was like production wise i'm like do we want to take the guitars off and make it more like a keyboard record like i was kind of open and then stone was like i love these guitar i love this acoustic guitar playing on this record let's he was like let's make the acoustic guitar the center of the focus and then he got some friends of his in Seattle, uh, Hans Tuber and Keith Lowe on bass. And I can't remember, there's a percussionist. And they, they basically just like took the songs and then just augmented it with like strings and horns and, and bass wow. and some piano and like organ. And just like uh, with the whole idea of being like the acoustic guitar and vocal or a center and then everything else is just kind of supporting it. Which, which turned out really cool. I, like, I was like, I'd never done that before where I just like kind of turned it over to people like that um and it's really like turned out really warm and kind of like in the in the world of like nick drake or cat stevens production which Uh was totally different than 
painted shield is like bombastic and basically drums are drums and keyboards are leading the songs and i'm just mm-hmm. singing so it's just nice to have both acoustic guitar and warmth and then i'll like bombast on the other side sure sure yeah um with with your own solo stuff like for, for that record did you said you you wrote all the songs kind of you had the structure down you what you sent it to them and they would offer suggestions like oh it'd be cool if you do this or that yeah just minor suggestions but mostly the recordings were done and then they just added strings and and bass and stuff to the actual recordings i had already done and did and kind of edited from 20 songs down to 10 okay and or did you record those at your like your own studio or like where did were you able to do that at my house i have like we live in a by a lake and it's just like just windows and a nice i have really good like mic just one really good mic and that's all you need really for guitar and vocal uh-huh wow that's yeah. cool. that's really cool is um like was this like had you have you done a record like that before where it aside from the first one that you did or like uh, or after that was it more like okay i'm gonna get in the studio with other people and we'll figure out how this goes like it sounds like this album was just you playing the songs and then you sent it over and kind of they helped you with that aspect of it but like had you ever done a record like that before not like that that was really a it's a very specific um but I have done a couple records on my own. Like, so for the, after that first two records, like myself titled and birds flying mm-hmm. away, uh, there was a string of you doing like band records, like, where yeah. got like good. Yeah. And so in studios <clears throat> and what happened is like, after about, I also signed to Epic records, like with, with, um, Isaac Brock from modest mouse. Yeah. After, he signed you, know, you right. He yeah. Kinda helped. That was, so you were touring with them? Is that how that relationship started? Yeah, his girlfriend at the time was a fan from, from California and he was like, he had never heard me and she loved the music and he was like, oh damn, I love this. So he asked us to come open for Modest Mouse, a big full tour of the country and <clears throat> we became friends and he offered me a, a deal with Epic. Mm-hmm. He was like he was like an A&R guy, but he has his own little imprint. So I did that and then we like, you know, we made a record in the studios in Pachyderm where um, that was bone. It was called Bone Clouds. It was where uh, Nirvana recorded um, in utero. Oh, okay. And um, so, anyways, after it, it just cost a lot of money because it was like a, a major label record. Everybody knew that I had like funding to make this record, and like the, everything ends up being so much more expensive. And <laughs> after I got done with it, I was like, that maybe was kind of a waste of. A waste of money because I felt like maybe instead I should maybe get a place or something or end up with my own spot. So I'm not just like throwing money to, to something. So I ended up getting like the, a little, like a little uh, house in the woods in Minnesota mm-hmm. for my next couple records. Like maybe in my next, like I recorded in the ever um, blood, of blood, blood of man. And then the one after uh, Minnesota, I, I recorded by myself out in this, out in this house uh, oh. outside of Minneapolis. And played all played you know the majority of those records there's a couple tracks here and there that were other things but mostly it's just me in this house recording on all the instruments on like a on a couple mics okay so that's similar to what yeah what you're doing now yeah the difference is like those four were more like homemade sounding and kind of mm-hmm. like i liked that this is more like just me doing a guitar and vocal like really like professional like just and then sending it to stone and then they add these like professional musicians like it's a lot more like uh it's more collaborative and it's more it's but it's also like me turning over the production to them like those those records i did at the house was me producing and and i just mm-hmm. kind of like and so the difference is like having stone just be like kind of wearing the production hat that that's new for me to have somebody else just kind of 
like fully producing it on the other end. Yeah. Fully produce it with me making these, the core of it's just me at my house, but mm -hmm. yeah. Like Amazing. there's flute, there's like a flute on one of the songs, stuff like that, where I'm like, there's a flute. Okay. <laughs> but since it's stone, I'm like, okay, stone's going to make sure it's cool. Like, uh -huh. good. yeah. That's awesome. That must've been a cool ex experience. Like hearing those back again, like once you oh, get them back awesome. and it's like, Oh, whoa, there's a flute. Like, did you, were there instruments in there that you weren't even expecting? Yeah. I didn't know what they were. I would be like, what is happening? And then I'd find out it would be like this weird, like a uh, har harmonium through a, like, you know, and the one producer producer, so stone and Regan and Regan would be like, yeah, I really like Brian Eno. So he likes when you like take a horn and then run it through like an effect or something. So there's a lot of that kind of thing happening where I'd be like, what is the sound? Like, and also there's all these strings. And then I, I thought it was cellos and it turns out it was actually like an upright, a lot of upright bass, but played like really, really high on the neck. So it's, it's got this kind of like cool, warm, thick string sound, but it's it sounds like cellos, but different. So it's, it's like a big, it's an upright bass played really high up stuff like that. That's awesome. When you, you have some shows coming up in January. Are you, um, are you playing, are you going to do like a full band or are you just doing these shows by yourself? Those ones are solo. So that'll be just me with me, guitar and piano. Oh, cool. I switch back and, and forth. Have you, I, I think you, you've played other shows right within the past year. I just played, uh, I played a band show in Minneapolis on Saturday night. Uh -huh. And, and then I played about five or six more sh other shows this fall. And it's so bizarre out there for sure. Yeah, what was it like playing your, like the first one back? It felt good to be on stage. Cause it was, that one was an outdoor one. And it, everybody was in their little pods kind of. Oh, okay. Like yeah. I Chappelle's comedy where like, there's like little tables and. Yeah. You had a little like know. square of, of your people. Yeah. <laughs> you could little, hang out with. <laughs> little zones. And I was, so it was kind of weird, but it felt good to play. And then. You know, it's hard. I mean, the, the thing that's tough is just it's the numbers are like half or less, you know, of people coming out and it makes sense because, you know, I probably wouldn't be going to many shows, but um, but the people that come are really stoked to be there. So mm -hmm. that felt good. That's cool. That is cool. And you also do a lot of visual or fine art, right? Painting. Yeah. Did you paint that behind you? No, that's Wolfcon. Oh, okay. I love Wolfcon. Um, are you still yeah, doing, doing that doing quite a bit? Yeah, that's kind of like uh, that's been a way that I've been able to make uh, a living through the pandemic is is um, I kind of just switched to doing painting for the most. I mean, obviously, I guess I didn't switch because I made all these records. <laughs> I'm like, I've been <laughs> right. doing a lot. So <laughs> yeah. I made records, too. But yeah, I've been selling paintings. And thank God, like that, that really saved the day for for me. And, and it's cool because um, people seem to like them and they've been buying them. So it's it's been I've been kind of like. I'm become self-taught. So like, I've always loved doing it, but I was never really doing it that, that much. And like lately, like I've been doing it like a lot. So like I'd painted one this morning and painted a couple this week. And so, yeah, I've been doing a thing where I like paint, I like think of songs and I'll just think like, okay, what lyrics from some of my songs and, and then paint something that's kind of inspired by it. And that seems to be a cool, it's sort of, it's sort of infinite ideas or ideas mm -hmm. for me to, work from which is kind of fun to tie the two together that's amazing so you didn't weren't like uh in painting or like you weren't doing that in college or in your school or anything prior to that it was just kind of no. something you were self-taught wow yeah, I, dropped, I dropped amazingly out of high school. good <laughs> thanks yeah oh i didn't um, realize that i didn't realize you dropped out of high school yeah in 11th grade in the end of 11th grade and um because i just was like i i mean the home life was crazy but also i just kind of knew it i knew that i wanted to do music and uh -huh. so focus on that. Like when I dropped that, I was making lots of songs at that time too. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, like I was the one that dropped out of school and then a few of my other friends dropped out, but I had like a plan. And those guys that were like, uh, I think I'll go back to school. You know, like I was like, guys, it's not, if you don't have like a plan in the arts, then maybe you should go back. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like working at the gas station isn't that fun after about six months. So <laughs> sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, Mason, thank you so much, man, for, for chatting with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. It's so cool. You've been listening to music that long that since birds flying away. That's so cool. Yeah. I, again, like all thanks to my, my buddy, who was like a huge fan of yours. That's so cool. I think you inspired him. He was, he's an incredible piano player, uh, but he started playing guitar around that time. Cause I think he was like, Oh my God, you know, cool. and he was, would play a few of your songs. He'd like learn how to play them on guitar, but um, cool. yeah, so I, I owe, I owe that to, to this guy, Mark Fisher. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> yeah. But um, again, man, thank you so much for doing this. I have one more question. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Um, I mean, for me, like, like the big thing for me, I always tell people when they're asking me, like, I'm, I'm like, just it's, it's really important to finish. I mean, I don't know about artists like in general. Well, yeah, finish, finish pieces, you know, finish the song, finish the painting, like, because it, I mean, when I, when I talk to people and like a lot of people just don't, they don't have the confidence to just finish the finish the song. They'll, they'll be like, I have a piece of this or I have something. I'm like, well, everybody has like an ability to record on their phone or record on their, um, you know, some on a computer or something. Mm -hmm. Like, I just think that for me, the real, the real thing that changed my life is that I, I was consistently finishing things. And like, I just would make sure I finished it. So then after you keep finishing things, you have, you have, you have work and you can start calling yourself an artist. You'd be like, I'm, I have these pieces and I have these songs I have, you know? And so I guess that would be my advice is it's really important to finish, finish songs and paintings. And cause it's hard. I mean, that part's hard. You, you don't, cause then you have to face like, is this any good? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the hardest part is like when it's not done, you can be like, Oh, it's so awesome. It's going to be so awesome when it's done, yeah, but when you it's can't, done, I can't wait to show you. <laughs> you can't wait till it's done. But when it's done, you have to be like, you know, and then that's how for me, like you grow because then people can like, you'll see how people react to it. And then you'll be like, I'm, I'm going to try to make it a another one. And anyway, that'd be my thought. That's my two cents on that. <laughs> <laughs>